this past Friday at the school I used to work at, is they have what they call the senior lunch. And the senior lunch is exactly what it sounds like. All the seniors come to this lunch. Uh, but it's not just the seniors that are there, and it's not just the teachers and the administrators, but the seniors' families come, and we all take this big meal together. Uh, the teachers especially look forward to it because unlike most of the other food at the staff meetings, like this food is actually good, we, we call the other food affectionately uh, and somewhat infamously moose food. Uh, <clears throat> it had some unique qualities to it. But we were, we'd always look forward to this. The food would be good there, so we'd get a great meal. And we also spent that time just remembering what all went into the past 13 years of these students' lives to get them to this point where they were at graduation. As you sit there, most of the memories are happy. Obviously, there's going to be some painful memories as you go through school as well. Some very sad memories. But overall, the memories are being shared there, and it's a great experience because that helps you keep in mind exactly what went into this whole process. And not only are the memories good for then and now, but they're good for the future. That, uh, and what I mean by that is, as a teacher, this lunch was good for my teaching soul, if you will. It was a lunch where you go, you know what, everything we poured into this was worth it. It helps you get past those last few weeks in June where you're sitting there in a room with no air conditioner and you're just sweating and the kids are sweating and I taught eighth grade at the time, so a lot of them weren't showering every day like they should. You know, those last few weeks are tough, but this meal just had built this excitement. It helped you get through those last few weeks, and it helped you get into, be ready for August. You're like, all right, I can't wait for August when I get to meet another set of kids who I'm going to impact, who I'm going to teach science, and who someday will be having the same meal again together when they graduate. It really it might have been the single best thing I think that that school did for teacher morale because you sat there and went, man, it was a lot of hard work. All of this went into it, but it was worth it and it built us up as teachers. It it nourished us in, in more ways than one, not just in food, but in our emotions and our spirit as well. The reason I bring that up is because each week we have a meal here at church that Certainly we remember things as we come and take this meal, but this is a meal that nourishes us and encourages us and builds us up for what's ahead of us. And the meal I'm talking about, of course, is communion. It's the elements right here that we come forward and we take each week. And so if you've been wondering, why do we do this each week? Why do we come forward? Well, this is that sermon where we get to answer that as we talk about why we do all these things in the life of the church Why do we do communion? And to answer that, let's turn to uh, Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he, he had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So that is a very plain answer right in front of you there. We see that 
Jesus ordains communion. He says, take this bread, this is my body, eat it. He says, take this cup, this is my blood, drink it. And so, you know, we're big here on any time Jesus says, do something, we do it. If Jesus says, be baptized, we are baptized. When Jesus says to obey his commands, we obey his commands. And when Jesus says, do this, and in another area in Luke, in uh, Luke, he says, do this in remembrance of me. We are going to do this that he has ordained. We are going to take communion together. Jesus ordaining it is a good enough reason to do it alone. And so I could end a sermon there and be like, that's why we're doing it. I'm not going to. We're not getting off now. Still got plenty of sermon left ahead. But Jesus ordains it. And so primarily we do it because he has done that. And we do it just as Jesus commanded. He commanded that we do this in remembrance of him. And so when we take the bread, in this case, an oyster cracker, when we take it and eat it, we are remembering what? His body. He said, this is my body. It's given for you. That is no small thing for Jesus to say, that this is his body given for you. In a few short hours after this meal, Jesus is going to be his arrested. That body is going to be beaten. It is going to be flogged and scourged. And that body is then going to be placed on a cross. Jesus is saying, this is my body given for you is a serious, weighty statement. And while it's up on the cross there, people are mocking him, saying if he is who he says he is, then let him get himself down from there. But Jesus doesn't do that. When he says he is giving his body, he is giving it fully. He doesn't take himself down from the cross and he sits up there pinned to it until his body expires. That is what we remember when we take the bread, his body given for us entirely. And we take the cup. Jesus says, take this cup. It is my blood which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So when we have the cup this is His blood. It says we are remembering His blood poured out. And I want to take a moment to really think about the words He says there. that It's poured out. I don't think we often remember the cross as being bloody enough. A lot of times, uh, for example, I grew up, I would go to uh, my grandparents' church from time to time. It was a Catholic church, and of course they have the crucifix. And Jesus is on the cross, and there's nails through his, his hands and through his feet, and there's the wound from the sphere, but there's just a little bit of blood. That wasn't really Jesus' blood being poured out. That's not what it really would have looked like. And so sometimes I think we minimize this and don't dwell on it enough. So we might think more like, if you've seen uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, there is this, uh, if you don't know the plot, they're, they're trying to get all this gold back together. There's a curse on this gold that they have stolen, and it's affecting their lives quite a bit. Uh, I, I don't want to, uh, the movie's really old. So the curse is that they're the living dead. I'm sorry if I just ruined that for anybody. You should have seen it by now. Uh, so anyway, and the curse has to be broken by repaying the gold with blood. 
And so the climactic scene comes, Orlando Bloom's character is there, he's got the gold, he's getting ready to put it back in the treasure chest, and he takes the knife, and he just cuts himself a little superficially, just enough to get some blood on that coin, and he drops the coin, and boom, the curse is lifted. That is not a picture at all of what happened with Jesus. There was not just a little bit of blood poured out for you. In fact, the blood that Jesus poured out starts even before a human hand has been laid on him. When he is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he is in such anguish over what's about to be done. He knows exactly what he's getting ready to go to, both physically and spiritually on the cross. And he's in such anguish as he is praying that he starts to sweat blood. This is an actual physical condition that can occur. You can be in such anguish, in such mental stress, that what happens is the blood vessels around your sweat glands will actually burst. And as you sweat, blood starts to come out. Of course, then when he is arrested, he is scourged by the Romans. Now, if you think about like a whip just being used, a whip on its own will draw plenty of blood, but the Romans didn't use whips that were just one piece of leather. There were often multiple pieces of leather, and it wasn't just leather that they used. They were known to tie in shards of pottery and shards of bone and metal balls into these whips. And when they whipped Jesus, it would have torn his back to shreds. There would have been blood poured out everywhere. And when Jesus is on that cross, when he's nailed to it, more blood is going to come out. Then this whole affair would have been bloody. Jesus' body was beyond recognition. And then even when he is dead, a soldier pierces his side just to make sure he's dead, and what comes out? Blood and water. When we remember Jesus' blood being poured out for the forgiveness of sins, remember that it, his blood was entirely poured out for our sins. It wasn't a little bit. It wasn't some superficial cut. It wasn't even just nails into the hands and feet. Blood was poured out. This would have been a horrific event to see in real life. And so as we take communion each week, we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember him when we take communion. Communion, however, is more just than remembrance. I don't want to stop there. The remembrance of what Christ has done is an important part of communion, and it is important that we dwell on that sacrifice. But that's not the only reason we do it. The why doesn't end there either. It is not merely just remembering what Jesus has done while we eat a cracker and drink some juice. It is much more than that. In a very real way, we are receiving Christ's body and blood when we take communion. When I say in a very real way, I don't mean we are physically eating his body and his blood. And I want to make that distinction because many of us do have Catholic roots and we might be familiar with the Catholic teaching of transubstantiation, where they believe that the, the bread, once it's consecrated by the priest, is not just bread anymore, or not bread at all. It, it appears to be bread, but it's actually Christ's physical body. And that the juice, while it appears to be juice, 
is no longer actually juice, but it is physically Jesus' blood. Lutherans hold to a similar uh, doctrine, uh, and with them, they, they modify it a little bit to where it is bread and it is juice, but it is also physically Christ's body and Christ's blood. And so that affects how they take communion. For one thing, they do not have what's called an open table, and I'll get to that more later on. But if you are not part of the Catholic Church, you cannot take communion in the Catholic Church because they view it as Christ's actual body and blood. Additionally, the priest, after everything's over, so we have like leftover communion every week, they have to consume all of the bread and all of, they use wine, all of the wine. They view it much differently. There's actually a story even of Martin Luther who uh, the, the cup is spilled and the wine is on the floor and he gets down in church on his hands and knees and licks up the wine because he views it as Jesus' actual physical blood. And so that is uh, one way of, of viewing this that I think goes too far. And the reason I say that is you don't really see, even though Jesus says this is my body and this is my blood, I don't think he means that in a literal way because he's still alive as he's standing there giving it for one. When he ordains this, Jesus' body and blood are there in his person. But also you see over and over throughout Scripture, and we're going to read a passage here in a minute, that it's still in Scripture. It is bread and it is wine, the cup. It is bread and it is the cup throughout that. And that it's not a physical changing that we see. That this is not a physical uh, the, the, the elements we take are not the physical body and blood of Jesus. Now, the sort of opposite view of that is that not only is it not the physical body and blood of Jesus, but it's not that in any way, shape, or form at all, and you have this event that's just commemoration. That when you come forward to take communion, it's just remembering what Jesus has done. I have a professor who, who was fond of putting it this way, he said it's, it's gone from it being the real body and blood of Christ to the real absence of Christ in communion. And uh, he said that he disagreed with that, and so do we. we. It is much more than that. To say it's just commemoration, just remembrance of what Jesus has done is to sell communion short of what it actually is. If you would uh, read with me 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 18. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 18. It says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. So what is being said there is that it is bread and it is a cup. But when we take it, we are participating in the body and blood of Jesus. This is more than just commemoration. This is more than just a physical event. This is a spiritual event. This is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase heavily here from John Piper, this is spiritual 
nourishment that we are receiving. He says, uh, this is the spiritual reality of what we are occur or what is occurring in communion is we are spiritually partaking of Christ's body and blood, and therefore we receive all the benefits that come along with Christ's death on the cross. See, when we come forward and take communion, there is a spiritual reality to what is going on there. And that's extremely important to remember. This is spiritual nourishment. I don't think it's any secret that we would all, you know, we need spiritual nourishment. We would all agree that spiritual nourishment is important because our spiritual walk is not easy. It is not easy. And so we need that spiritual nourishment. We want to come forward and receive the grace that is offered through this so that we are built up in spirit, so that we are built up to do the things that we are called to do in following Christ. It's hard work to do that. It's not easy. Don't ever let anybody tell you, following Jesus is the easiest thing ever. No, no, it is not the easiest thing ever. It's the best thing ever. It's the most rewarding thing ever. But it is not the easiest thing ever. And we need spiritual nourishment for that, for us to do that and do it well. And so here we are. We do this each week. And I hope You look forward to it each week because there's nothing like taking in a meal when there's a lot of hard work going on. Those meals are the best meals, if you ask me. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, When you help someone move, right? You help someone move, you're lugging boxes up and down stairs. If you're in my case, you're usually doing it like this because stairs are low in these houses. It's a lot of work. It's not easy. And so you're doing that. And you know what the, you're looking forward to the whole time? I'd say nine out of ten times when you move, it's pizza. You're looking forward to that pizza. Because it's going to help you unload the truck here in a few minutes. Right? There is no better pizza than moving day pizza. i tell you that much right now. Moving day pizza is the best because it's hard work. You need that nourishment to carry you on and to finish the job. And you look forward to that pizza. And so I hope each week, and especially now viewing it that way, you look forward to this meal each week that we are going to take together. Because it is spiritually nourishing for our spiritual lives and for our spiritual work. We participate in the body and blood of Jesus when we do this. And so I hope you're excited about it, and it kind of I hope some of you who are now going, all right, let's do it. When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? But it also begs the question, who can partake of this meal? Who can come forward and take this bread and take this cup and participate in the body and blood of Jesus? And we here, I'm going to come back to that idea I mentioned earlier about an open table. We have an open table. In other words, I'm not telling you you can't come forward. I'm not going to tackle anybody who comes up here and tries to take the bread and cup. All right, You are welcome to come and take it. But I do want to give out some warnings. Some How should we go about doing this and who should go about doing this? And so one warning I want to give out there this morning comes to those who are here this morning and who take the bread and the cup out of religious habit. In other words, they do it because it's what's done. 
And they think that in doing so, it's somehow maybe earning their favor with God or earning their forgiveness with God. And I want to stop you before you come up here and take it in that way. Because it can't do that for you. Taking this bread and taking this cup will not forgive your sins. The only thing that forgives sins is faith in Jesus. His body on the cross, His death, His blood spilled for the forgiveness of sins, His resurrection, only having faith in that will give you the forgiveness of your sins. And so if you come forward and your sins are not forgiven and you take it back with you, your sins will be no more forgiven just because you took the bread and the cup this morning. So don't please come forward, please don't come forward thinking that that's what this is going to do for you. That is not the case. Also, if you are a believer in Jesus, if your faith is already in Jesus and you already have forgiveness of your sins, because of that, we are still told as believers that we ought to examine ourselves before we come forward to take this. I'm not going to read 1 Corinthians 11 uh, right now, but I'm going to try and and help summarize uh, what it says. And it's actually a great chapter to read on communion and what was going on in a church where they were doing this Lord's Supper thing all wrong. Um, But there's a warning in it there where it says that before someone comes forward to take the bread and cup, that each person should examine themselves and to make sure that they're coming forward to do this in a worthy manner. It says you should judge yourselves. And so you might wonder why each week Joey or I, whoever's up here, Before we take communion, we encourage you to wait a moment, to examine yourselves, to confess sin before God, and to repent of it. And that is why, because we are called to. And it says if you don't, so if you come forward and take this in an unworthy manner, it says that you eat and drink judgment on yourself. And that's serious. That's serious, to come forward and eat and drink judgment. On yourself, And it says if you do that, when you do that, and when you eat and drink that judgment on yourself, that God will discipline you. And I want to focus on that word discipline for a moment. Because you discipline someone you love. And so if you do come forward, and you have ever come forward, take this in an unworthy manner, and been disciplined because of it, realize it wasn't God pouring out His wrath on you. It was God disciplining you out of love for you. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 that he disciplines you so that you are not condemned like the rest of the world. And so this discipline can come when we take this in an unworthy manner. And I've been, I've been on the receiving end of that discipline. And that discipline uh, takes the form of uh, physical ailments. I'm not preaching up here that every sickness ever has been a result of some sin you're unrepentant of. But I, I don't want to minimize that God works through that. And let me give you my own, one of my own examples. I've shared this, but it's been a few years since I've shared this in a sermon. Um, I played rugby in college, and I was in good shape. And I, I know I've used some of those uh, uh, rugby illustrations recently. But this one is more about I was in shape, and I was proud of who I was physically. I took my identity in being in good shape. I was running a lot. I was working out a lot. I, in, I was sowing everything towards my physical body. All my energy and effort was going towards that, 
and I loved the praises I got from it. People noticed, your arms are looking good, you know, your man, look at you, all that. I was craving that, I was desiring that, and that was what I was loving more than I was loving and worshiping God. I was loving and worshiping myself and the praises that people gave me. So one night, I'm out for a run with a friend, and we're running around the CSU campus. Our plan was to do the run, then we are going to have dinner uh, with his girlfriend at her dorm. And uh, as I'm running, all of a sudden, I roll my ankle, and it's one of those blinding pains. I mean, just like stars are before my eyes, and I just immediately, full stride still, roll the ankle, and I reach down like this, and I fall forward. And I just, my, I break my fall with my face on the sidewalk. If you think this sunburn looks funny that's like right here, you should have seen my face after I fell and ate the sidewalk. <clears throat> it's, but my ankle hurt so bad, I honestly didn't even notice that. We get to my friend's girlfriend's dorm, and she and her friend come out, and he'd called her ahead of time. He's like, hey, bring ice. Dave hurt himself. So they come out. My face is so messed up, she goes to put the ice bag on my face when she comes down. I'm like, no, 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 my ankle. She's like, have you seen your face? (laughs) No, I have not. So anyway, just road rash all over my face. My ankle, just in extreme pain. Couldn't run for a couple weeks after that. But that Sunday, I'm in church. I don't usually wear a hat to church, but I'm like, have the hat pulled low, and I've got my Oakley sunglasses on. I'm like, I don't want anybody to see, but church starts, and I, I can't keep them on, so I take them off. And so my face is exposed to the whole church. And afterwards, my pastor came up to me, and uh, he did this uh, out of love, to be sure, but he, he, uh, he comes up and he goes, uh, Dave, I want to ask you to do something. I think you should go home today, and I think you should pray and and see if this is God disciplining you. He said, I I find oftentimes in cases like this that it's God disciplining us in some some way for something we're doing, and he's disciplining because he loves you, and, and something you're doing is harming you, and you're being disciplined so you'll stop doing it. He said, it might not be that, but I want you to go home and pray about it. And so I went home. And I prayed about it, and it was very clear to me in those prayers exactly why God was disciplining me, because I had started to worship myself and the praises of others instead of worshiping God and desiring praise from Him above all else. And so it was a very transformational moment in my life as a Christian. It hurt. It hurt. That discipline hurt, but it was for my good in the long run. So I want you to be aware of that. If you are undergoing God's discipline, if you ever come forward and take the bread and take the cup and you do it in an unworthy manner and you are disciplined, whether it's through something like that or an illness or a loss of a job or whatever it might be, I want you to remember that God is doing it because he's a father who loves you. And so please, when that moment comes later, when I ask you to examine yourselves, And when you have that moment to do it, don't think about the picnic later. Don't think about what your plans are for your day off tomorrow. Don't think about whatever sporting events or whatever stress is going on in your life. Don't think of those things. Use it that moment to examine yourself. 
Let the Holy Spirit work on you, convict you of sin. And when you are convicted of that sin, confess it before God. Repent of it. Turn from it. The forgiveness is there. The grace is there. Receive it. And once you have done that, then please come forward. Don't run. I don't want anybody getting run over. But come forward. You should be coming forward to take this meal, to receive this grace, to get that spiritual nourishment. It should be extremely exciting for us to do that. Because we get to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That He fully gave us His body and He gave us His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And He has ordained this, not just so we can remember that, but so that we can be sustained spiritually as well. And then let us respond after we take this meal, respond in joy for those same reasons. That Jesus paid the price for our sins. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be with God, not just now, but in eternity. Let us rejoice in that and rejoice that He has continued to administer that grace to us through the meal of communion. Let's pray together.